1: One day soon, I'll be vaccinated against COVID-19. It probably won't happen for a couple of months, but it's close enough now that I know it will happen. And you'll get one too. And when I do get the vaccine, as you know if you or a loved one have already had it, I'll get a sticker on my driver's license here in Ontario and also likely some electronic proof that I received my vaccine. What that proof looks like will vary depending on where in Canada or the world you live. But you will get something that proves you've been vaccinated. The real question is, what will that proof be used for? Proof of vaccination is referred to as an immunity passport, because it very well could be the document that lets you go places again. Places like other countries, on airplanes again just like a regular passport. But depending on what our governments and businesses do, it could also be your ticket to public events, to baseball games and concerts and crowded restaurants, to festivals, even to school or to work. So there are a few questions here. They're simple to ask, but they're actually really hard to answer. First, can they do that? Second, should they do that? Third, how far could immunity passports go? And finally, what kinds of ethical choices are we making here? And are we really prepared for what the world looks like if we allow some of the things that we all took for granted to be accessed only by those who have received or can get a vaccine? Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Nicole Hassoun is an ethicist at Binghamton University, a visiting scholar at Cornell, and the director of the Global Health Impact Project. Hello, Nicole.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. We're getting closer to the day when uh, I theoretically can get my vaccine and I might end up with an immunity passport. Is that right?
2: I I guess so, uh, depending on your country, at least.
1: Let's start there, though. What is an immunity passport? Like, Can you just explain the concept?
2: Yeah, an immunity passport is basically a certificate or possibly an electronic certificate that shows that you have immunity uh, to COVID, at least for some time. It would potentially be for uh, someone who's gotten a vaccine, but also you can have immunity passports that would show you have natural immunity. And the idea is that these passports might be required, To justify things like traveling or going to work or participating in social events, um, possibly without social distancing.
1: Is this a concept that is new um, due to COVID or is this uh, something that's been used before historically?
2: Yeah, it's been used in the past. Um, People have been talking about this since the beginning of this pandemic and it's kind of evolved um, from talking about, you know, testing for the presence of antibodies and potentially giving people permission to you know, engage in social life more freely with just the antibodies to talking about um, immunity passports for vaccination. Historically, in the 19th century, immunity to yellow fever um, was a big problem in the southern United States, for instance. So those who had survived the yellow fever virus um, were able to get a kind of immunity passport, which had a huge effect on, on those people. So they could, it would determine things like whether they could get married and whether or not they could get a job. People who were slaves, um, in that time period, also, you know, their worth was valued based on their immunity status. So it's been, um, it's been used before. We also have other cases where, you know, even today, you know, if I fly to certain places, you'll need to have a proof of vaccination for yellow fever. Um, and during the Spanish flu pandemic, uh, there was at least discussion of compulsory medical examinations for travel, um, but at the time, I'm not sure there was the um, uh, really the ability to to use the immunity certificates because people were hard to trace en in, in route to their destination. So, yeah, right now they're they're being used already in Israel and um, China and the EU are talking about it.
1: How comprehensive? could an immunity passport program be? Um, You know, you mentioned just a few things off the top, but it seems like it could be required in almost every facet of, like, returning to normal life.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the way that they work could be very, very different. So it could be anything from, like, um, you just need them to go to baseball games or bars and gyms to, you know, you just need them for travel to something that's much more comprehensive I think it's likely that we'll see them. I mean, we're almost certainly going to see them um, in some aspects of life, like travel, international travel. But um, in different places, they'll probably be used to different extents.
1: What kind of challenge um, could somebody who didn't want uh, to be required to prove this. Uh, and I'm not we'll talk about anti-vaxxers in a minute who are just you know uh, totally against vaccinations, but even just somebody who who objects to the idea. Uh, if it's been around for so long, I'm sure it's been legally challenged many times.
2: Well, there's some ways in which we have legal mandates for vaccination in the United States, for instance, um, in my children's school district now. Uh, they've limited the amount of religious exceptions and other things people have because we weren't getting to herd immunity to protect against diseases like measles, and there's been outbreaks of measles in the United States. So it's common to have some kinds of you know, compulsory vaccination and, and requirements of proof for that. But there's legal challenges that you can make uh, to to the kinds of immunity passports that we're seeing. So In, I guess, the way the World Health Organization works is that um, countries are also kind of part of the World Health Assembly, which makes rules that are legally binding. And so one of those rules is, I think it's called Annex 7, and it says that states um, can implement health measures that, quote, achieve the same or greater level of health protection than the WHO recommends. However, they have to have a health rationale, be non-discriminatory, consider the rights of travelers and be more no uh, not not be more restrictive of international traffic than reasonable alternatives. So there's a question about whether you know that would uh, these kinds of passports would would qualify on those, and then you know in the United States, for instance, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I've read some things that suggest this could be a basis for challenging uh, immunity passports in the courts. It it's uh, protects people who are just presumed to have a disability, and so um, immunity status, right? Not having immunity could be um, kind of seen as a disability potentially. And it, it is true, like, how this is going to work, whether it's governments or the private sector that's requiring kind of immunity passports, could be really different. So in the private sector, like, employers here are allowed to um, test employees, but I'm not sure that they can um, uh, require them to uh, prove their immunity status because um, that would be, you know, potentially a violation of the Americans with Disability Act. There's also, like, other state laws that
0: might be relevant, so.
1: I think um, when vaccines were still kind of far off on the horizon, um, it was like, okay, whatever has to be done, get vaccines, save lives, et cetera. And now that they're here um, and arriving in people's arms, you know, how has the discussion evolved uh, from the point of whether or not we can reasonably demand this of someone?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's arguments for it again, so you know some people say that if we have immunity passports it could increase you know social activity it could help protect healthcare in certain ways um you know thinking about people being able to access long term care homes um in the united states you can't visit you know elderly people but maybe if you had a immunity passport you could for instance I think so whether or not the immunity passports are going to turn out to be justified depends on the reasons we think you know we should have them so are they economic are they cultural are they social you know are they health protections why is it we should have these immunity passports and then do they really achieve the objectives that people have for them and I think um, both of those things should probably be clearer in public debate before we go about seeing whether they should be legal or not. But um, as the discussion kind of has evolved as vaccines have been arriving in first world countries, again, you know, the conversation has kind of evolved from giving immunity passports based on detection of antibodies um, from previous infections to giving passports based on vaccination status. And so right. if people's tests are wrong, you might end up giving people passports that, um, They really shouldn't have and they still pose high risks to others. But, you know, there's still uncertainty. So right now we don't know really um, if and if so, how well vaccines prevent transmission of the virus. So we know that they're protecting the people who have them fairly well, um, although they still leave one in 20 people kind of exposed. Uh, But we don't know if they can then still get other people sick. And so I think that's one of the questions we need to Answer to know how effective vaccines um, and immunity passports will be um, in protecting people, for instance. So, if the, if the justification for having them is well, this is a you know a good way to protect public health. Well, we have to have that information. I guess there's other questions um, about stigmatization and and the risk of discrimination in everyday life right. increasing, sort of on the negative side of things. So it's not true that everyone has access to the vaccine right now. It's not true that I think on anybody's theory that access um, to the vaccine is perfectly fair, right? Like people in developed countries are gonna have access to this vaccine probably this year. But for people in poor countries, they may have to wait years to get a vaccine if they ever get one. And so if we have international travel restrictions, right, how is that going to affect people around the world? I think it could be very, very unequitable because access to the vaccine isn't very equitable. Um, and then there's, again, the threat of stigmatization and people being left out, maybe who can't get a vaccine for health reasons, for instance, or um, people who have uh, who are parts of marginalized groups, maybe at high risk of serious illness from the vaccine, but still not unable to access it um, in, in the same numbers as people who, you know, are a little more privileged.
1: How do the ethics of requiring an immunity passport differ depending on what you're requiring it for. You know, Um, it feels really different to me uh, whether you're requiring, you know, eventually my daughter to have one to go to school or you're just requiring me to have one to go to the ballpark and watch a game.
2: Yeah, I think that there's big differences, right, in in what we might use them for and, and then the ethical justification that you'd need to have them in that case. So, you know take a public school situation, right? If you said people needed to have a passport to go to school, and then you know, that means people can't work if they can't send their kids to school. The, the stakes are potentially very high, both for the kids and the families. Um, on the other hand, something like attending a baseball game, not not as big of a deal, although, you know, that's a private sector activity. And I think we need to pay attention to what the private sector is doing and probably regulate their behavior. So. I don't think individual freedom should be a business proposition. It's understandable that employers want to ensure that their staff and their customers feel safe, but their actions can have significant effects on people's lives. So for instance, take a travel company or airline that says someone can't fly to visit a dying parent because they pose a risk to others. And that person say, willing to take precautions, get tested and so forth. That might not be justifiable if the risks they actually pose are quite limited, right, especially if others who are flying already have the vaccine. So we should make sure that there's some exceptions if we do have immunity passports for health and you know, emergency travel and family reasons and that kind of thing.
1: If you were talking uh, to a government right now that was considering these measures, what would you be urging them to do uh, as they lay them out?
2: Yeah, I actually feel like we could have international regulations on this. I think it would be worthwhile thinking about that. Um, Of course, governments are going to do what governments will do. Um, But, uh, you know, not only to take into account those legal issues and uh, make sure that, you know, there's a good legal basis for them, uh, that we're not uh, undermining fundamental rights without a good reason. Um, Because whether or not, you know, it's a restriction or a permission, I think, depends on what people have had previously, like relative to how much freedom people previously had. So if you're suddenly going to restrict people's rights, you might see that as an imposition. But in other case, you know, we need to make sure that there's something really at stake. Like, okay, if the health system's going to collapse without immunity passports, and we want to maximize economic activity and let some people out, and this is the only way, you know, we can do it, that's a pretty good reason, right, to have an immunity passport system. But you want to make sure there's not another way of kind of protecting health and keeping the health system in place that's a little bit less restrictive for people. So maybe mask guidelines and social distancing would suffice. And I think, you know, we need to justify differential treatment of vaccinated and unvaccinated people because um, not everybody does have fair access to that vaccine. Um, People are sometimes in disadvantaged or marginalized groups and, and these kinds of um, vaccine passports could be risky for them because they're going to face increased scrutiny of, you know, in, in their interactions in public life.
1: What I wonder, and I wonder if it it worries you, it's something that I've thought about a lot since I knew we were going to talk about this, is, you know, I could understand the rationale, especially in some places, especially um, for important events or contacts while there's still a, a a good number of unvaccinated people out there, you know, requiring a passport for that. But I, I worry that this is one of those security things that becomes normal and we just live with the way uh, going through airport security changed after 9-11, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I worry a little bit of the way that tech and businesses are involved in this. You know, there's organizations out there that want to have, you know, digital passports and things for people for a variety of reasons and are really taking this as an opportunity to kind of get that going. And, you know, could potentially make money about offering these kinds of things. And I, I wouldn't want to see that mm-hmm. in public life. I think the rationale for offering passports changes as the risks people pose become less and less and more and more people are um, vaccinated. Um, and so, you know, the what's at stake question is, you know, why do we really want these and, and will it achieve that objective is, I don't know, pretty important, especially because for instance, right now, we don't know if the vaccine actually limits the transmission of the virus. And we don't know the length of immunity. And there's going to be more, um, there are, you know, mutations to the virus that will undermine the the, the vaccine immunity in, in some cases. And so we need to, I think, Tread carefully here in thinking about whether this is a really effective and fair way of of helping people access public life again.
1: I feel like there's a divide between, um, in some cases, it could be incredibly helpful and save lives, and that's why we need it. But there's also—and tell me if you feel differently. I feel like, you know, you you asked what the motivation for it was, and I feel like there's just such a desire— uh, to, quote-unquote, return to normal, that people will be willing to accept a lot of things they might not otherwise.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I just sort of want us to think a little carefully about what the different things are involved there, right? Is it, you know, is it the benefits of economic, uh, you know, activity that we want, right? That, is it the social interaction that people want? Because, of course, you know, my friends who've already had the vaccine are getting together for brunch with their friends already, right? So there are a lot more opportunities for a social interaction, a safe, relatively maybe potentially safer social interaction for people who are vaccinated, independent of you know going to bars and restaurants. So is it is it that social interaction that we want? Is it you know more economic activity? Because if you think well, you know if we suddenly have these vaccine you know immunity passports required for travel, then maybe more people will travel. Maybe. But then there's people who probably would have traveled and, you know, taken precautions who won't be able to. So will the net economic activity be more? And, you know, as far as health, you know, do we know enough to say this would be, you know, a safer way of an affair or way of, you know, keeping um, the virus in check, I guess. I think people have offered different rationales. And so for each one, we need to kind of look at it carefully,
1: I guess. I don't know if you're good with me asking you to predict anything. So feel free to decline to predict. But I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on you know, how long uh, those programs could be in place for uh, if they do decide to activate them. And, you know, to your point of different governments do different things and private businesses are doing different things, like it's one of the things that I see, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic might be somewhat navigable, but just could become a really confusing mess over time.
2: Yeah, I mean, so there is like a lot of uncertainty about how the virus and so forth is going to evolve, how effective the vaccines will be. Will it be, you know, anybody getting any vaccine anywhere can travel anywhere? Or if they have a permit, you know, if they get a vaccine, they're going to be a patchwork system of vaccination requirements. Like if you're, you know, in Russia, obviously the, the Russian vaccines are going to be fine. But if you're not, will that work, you know, to come to the United States? And I think it could be fairly complicated. People um, could potentially abuse the system. You know, some people are arguing for good digital solutions for that reason, that maybe it it could help us navigate that, but, and universal ones, but then there's the data privacy issues that come with that. And another thing that I just want to point people to is I think the Swiss Vaccine Task Force guidelines are actually quite good on this. Um, They're quite wise. And you know, they basically say, well, look, if it was shown that vaccination significantly limits transmission, then maybe these kinds of immunity passports could increase, you know, social activities and um, p- help protect people who are in, you know, long-term care facilities and so forth and encourage acceptance of vaccination. But the differential treatment, the risk of stigmatization, unfair disadvantage and, you and, uh, you know, difficulties in verifying these anti-pandemic measures couldn't put strains on social cohesion. And so uh, basically what they say is that, you know, to to justify the use of immunity passports, the danger that the limited activity of unvaccinated persons, you know, poses to, you know, their freedom and so forth is something we need to take into account. And the the risks that they pose by, you know, letting them out in society have to be Mitigated by, um, or weighed in proportion to the the advantages, and and there shouldn't be any you know less restrictive measures that would let us um, also protect the the health and get back to to, so, to social life as quickly. So,
1: Nicole, thank you so much for walking us through this. It's a really thorny issue. Uh, I feel like I understand it a bit better now.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me.
1: Nicole Hassoun of Binghamton University, the director of the Global Health Impact Project. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You've heard me say it a few times now, but if you haven't yet, why haven't you taken our survey? We need to hear from you. If you're the type of person that makes it to the ends of our episodes, you are the exact person we want signing up for this. You can also talk to us on Twitter at the Big Story FPN. You can email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And as always, we're in your favorite podcast player in Apple and Google and Stitcher and Spotify and Pocket Casts. And you can ask Alexa to play The Big Story Podcast as well. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.